So today is the fourth of Tammuz, and we are on chapter 19, verse 18. Torah here describes the mitzvah of purification of somebody who came in contact with the dead and says as follows, The Kohen shall take a hyssop, take the hyssop, and he shall dip it in water. Now we have to make sure that this coin is a ishtahor, is a pure person who is himself pure. Vihiza and he will sprinkle on the tent and on all the vessels and on all the souls and all the people that were in that tent. So here we're being introduced to this idea that it's not just the human being who has to be cleansed of contamination to the dead, but also the tent, the vessels, they also become impure, tamay, through contact with the dead. Now, the ohel, very specifically, this wouldn't apply to a house because a house is uh, is not susceptible. It's only a, a something that would be considered a vessel, so to speak, and a tent of certain materials, which is a kind of uh, temporary type of structure, can con- contract impurity. However, a house, which is a permanent structure, it's considered like as part of the ground. The ground cannot become impure, and so so too anything that's connected to the ground cannot become impure. So anyone who touches a bone or a slain person, halal is a slain person, or a mace, or any corpse, a cover, or the grave. Now, what does he do? He dips he dips the hyssop into the water, and this is the water that contains the ashes of the red heifer. Verse 19, The ritually clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean person on the third day and on the seventh day, as we learned yesterday. On the seventh day is when his cleansing is complete. As we learned yesterday, the word which we normally associate with sin, like the al that we say on Yom Kippur, in this case, Rashi told us it means cleansing. He shall wash his clothing and wash himself in water, which means to go in a mikvah and then he becomes pure at night. So in addition to the ashes of the red heifer being sprinkled upon him, the water mixed with water, he also goes in a mikvah and then with nightfall, he becomes pure. Verse 20 and a person who becomes contaminated and does not purify himself, that per and and then goes and enters the holy. That nefesh shall be cut off. That soul will be cut off from from the congregation. Why? Because the the temple or the sanctuary of God he has contaminated, and the waters of sprinkling were not thrown upon him. Tamehu, he is impure. So here we have a, a if you if you learned yesterday's portion, it's going to sound like deja vu. This is almost a complete repetition of a verse we had yesterday. And the difference, as Rashi points out, is that today in our verse, it talks about the mikdash. So there's two words for the holy. One is mishkan and one is mikdash. In yesterday's Parsha, we learned about the mishkan, somebody who who enters the mishkan without having been purified. And today we learn about the mikdash. What is the difference? Rashi um, referencing the Talmud in Tract H4 tells us that the Torah is telling us that the same law applies regarding the tabernacle, which is known as the Mishkan in the desert, 
The same law applies regarding the temple, the mikdash that would be built in Jerusalem. And in each case, you may have thought, well, it's not so strict. You might think the mishkan is not so strict because it was a it was a temporary structure. Um, maybe if you walk into the mishkan, it wouldn't be as severe. And it's only if you walk into the temple in Jerusalem that it's severe. Or you could say that the mishkan uh, was was anointed with with the special oil, and only if you entered the mishkan. Was it so severe? But if you enter the base of Mikdash, which was not anointed with the oil, it would be different. So the verse tells you know very clearly they're both the same. The Mishkan and the Mikdash both cannot be entered in a state of impurity. Verse 21, this shall be for an eternal, eternal statute. And the one who, who sprinkles the sprinkling water shall wash his clothing. And the one who touches the water of the of the of the sprinkling shall be impure until nightfall. Now here was a very um, a, a, a phrase here that without Rashi can be misunderstood. So he says, meanida, the one who sprinkles the sprinkling water, he becomes impure. And as we talked yesterday, this is the great paradox of the para aduma that the one engaging in the purification, he himself becomes impure. But Rashi tells us not to take this literally. It does not refer to the one who sprinkles the water. It refers to a person, the people who are engaged in other ways or the person who carries these purification waters, but not the one who sprinkles it. And the reason that it says the one who sprinkles it and, and refers to the person who's carrying the water as the one who sprinkles it, because it's telling us how much water there has to be, how much of this purification water is the person carrying in order to make him impure. If it's just a minute amount, he will not become impure. Um, so it's the amount that is necessary to sprinkle upon a person to make him pure. That's the amount that if you carried it, you would become impure. The commentaries say how you can actually see it in the verse that it's not possible. You can't, you can't say that, that the person who actually sprinkles it is, is impure. Um, another thing in this verse that we have is that the Torah is contrasting a person who carries the water versus a person who touches the water. Now, if this were, if we were thinking scientifically that this is some kind of a contamination, a contagion, we would think that a person who touches the water is going to be more impure than a person who just carries the water but doesn't actually touch it. But because this is not a physical thing, this is a spiritual type of impurity, here's one of the places where you see it very clearly, that is the person who carries something impure that has a, that attains a, a greater um, level of impurity than a person who merely touched it. And we see that in this verse where it says, the person who touches it is impure till evening. It does not say that he has to wash his clothing. So the person who carries the water has to not... Uh, has to uh, he's not only is he impure, but his garments become impure as well. He has to wash his garments. But the one who merely touches, only touches, he is going to be impure until the evening. Okay, so that is what Rashi tells us on verse twenty-one. Verse twenty-two. Now the Torah is telling us something new: that not only does the person become impure, but anything that he touches becomes impure. So he, um, as Rashi puts it, the, the corpse itself is called avi avotatuma, the, let's see, we translates it, the supreme source of contamination, the father of the father of the, 
of the contamination. And the one who touches the corpse, he becomes a av hatuma, a primary source of contamination, which means that he can contaminate another person. And the the person who touches, a person who touched a corpse becomes impure until the evening. So the the person who didn't actually touch the corpse, he only touched a person who touched the corpse, does not require this um, purification from the the ashes of the red heifer. But he he has to uh, go in a mikvah and he'll be pure in the evening. Rashi now tells us that until this point, we've got all the laws. At this point, Rashi is going to give us some midrash, even though we said that this is a chok, and there's a, a lot of um, super rational ideas here in this red heifer. There is an explanation, a midrashic explanation of what this is all about, and that's what Rashi begins to explain to us after the whole story. He says, this is how it's understood in halacha. Now I'm going to tell you, the Midrash from Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, and this is it. And he starts, goes back to where it says that the Jewish people, they should be the ones to pay for and bring this, this red heifer. In other words, not it shouldn't be from Moses. It says Rashi, just as they gave their, and removed their, their golden earrings and gave it for the golden calf, they paid for the golden calf, so too the the atonement for the golden calf has to be from their property. So what do we see right here from Rashi is that the the red heifer is an atonement for the golden calf, as Rashi will now explain detail by detail. It says so. It's a red. It's a red. Uh, a red cow. Paraduma says Rashi. This is a mushal. Is a metaphor that there was the son of the maid that dirtied, sullied the palace of the king. So what did they say? Let the mother. Let the maid, the mother of the child who made the mess, let her come and clean up the mess. So shall the cow, the mother, come and atone for the calf, for the baby, which was the sin of the Jewish people. Aduma, why is it red? Because red is associated with sin. As it says in Isaiah, if 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 they, your sins prove to be as red as crimson, chachet karui edom. Sin is described as being red. Demima, what does it mean to Mima without blemish? This refers to the Jewish people who at the time before they gave the golden, before they worshiped the golden calf, they were tamim, they were perfect. They were without blemish. That means spiritually, but also physically, as we learned that before, by the giving of the Torah, all, all of the Jewish people became um, healed of, of any physical blemishes that they had. And with worshiping the golden calf, they became Bali Mumin again. Their, their blemishes returned, both spiritually and physically. So let this cow come and atone for them and let them let them be returned to their perfection. Now, what does it mean that the, the one of the requirements is Loyola oil? That there was no uh, yoke had been placed upon this cow, otherwise, it's disqualified for the red heifer. That, co- that corresponds to the fact that the Jewish people threw off the yoke of heaven when they went and worshipped the golden calf. Why was it Elazar the Kohen and not Aharon the Kohen, who is the one who is supposed to oversee the preparation of the, go- of the, of the red heifer? It says Rashi, just as they gather upon Aaron, who is a Kohen, to make the egel, to make the calf, 
therefore it has to be done by a Kohen. But it cannot be Aharon because Aaron is the one who, even though he had good intentions, was involved in facilitating the golden calf. Therefore, it could not be Aharon because Ein Kategor Nase Sanegor. The prosecution cannot serve as the defense. Commentaries differ whether this was a, a rule that was extended in future generations or was just for this original um, red heifer that in the times of Moshe. Besarif as a party, they should burn the cow after it's been slaughtered. Kishemshin is available. Just as Moses later burnt the golden calf, so too the the cow is now being is that needs to be burnt. Now, what are these other ingredients that are used that are thrown into the fire? You have the cedar wood and you have the hyssop and you have the crimson wool. These three correspond to the three thousand people who fell, who died in the aftermath of the golden calf. Furthermore, the Erez, the cedar, as we saw in Rashi in the laws of Tsaras and the healing of the Tsaras, that Erez represents haughtiness because it's the tallest of all trees, the cedar. The Ezoib and the Hyssop is the lowest of all vegetation. So it's a sign that the haughtiness of the person that caused them to sin, let him humble himself like the Hyssop and like the crimson wool, and he will be atoned for. Why is the crimson wool a hint to... Humility, because the same word for crimson, telas, is also the word for a worm. The mishmeres, that the that has to be kept as a uh, for a keepsake. He says, just as the they sinned with the eagle with the gold with the golden calf, and that sin, they're always going to hear about it, because the, to punish them entirely for the sin of the golden calf would have been too much. So God rations out the punishment over the generation. So just as that sin is is not been removed completely, so too the ashes of the red heifer are supposed to be kept as a, as a keepsake. Furthermore, says Rashi, just as the golden calf contaminated all who were involved in it, so too the red heifer contaminates those who are engaged in it. And just as the Jewish people were purified with the ashes of the golden calf, so too the Jewish people are purified from contamination with the dead through the ashes of the red heifer. We're running a little bit over time, but I want to get to the story of Miriam and the Jewish people complaining about water. Verse 1, by Yavoy of the Jewish people arrived, Kol Ho'eda, the entire congregation, Midbartzin, as Rashi will tell us, that means all the people who died, who were going to die in the desert, had already uh, passed, and and now they were ready to to enter the land. All the people who were who were alive then would be the ones who would enter the land, and what and Miriam passes away, and the Jews complain about the water. We'll stop here, and pick it up tomorrow.